Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our sixth episode of the Talking with Apes podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about big tech giants like Google, Facebook, Amazon, etc. You know them, <laughs> you've used them, and big social media as well. Uh, both the EU and the USA have um, put in some uh, policies to tackle the monopoly of these big tech tech companies and today we'll discuss like why are they doing it is it good is it bad uh how does it relate to censorship um maybe some policies are better than others Spoiler ahead it's not good but i mean uh, we'll we'll talk about it <laughs> cracking down on these monopolies is very necessary oh, i thought you I were think. referring to the monopolies themselves oh yeah yeah no the, mo- like, I don't the know, monopolies there is positive are not things to be said about okay monopolies. guys just let me do the interview <laughs> uh, and like what does it mean for our data um so like we'll talk about the monopoly structure of these companies we'll talk about uh, data and privacy and we'll also talk a bit about a sensitive subject of censorship um But before we get started, uh, do you want to introduce yourselves, guys? <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I am I am Kinan. I am a uh, uh, Syrian, quote unquote, leftist, I guess, and I work in automation. And uh, I'm interested in activism. And uh, I am the third ape in the Talking with Apes program. So you work for the enemy. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a Belgian leftist in that sense. I don't know. That's weird to use that of <laughs> just, that just, duality. I'm just sure. skip it. <laughs> And I spend way too much time on the internet. <laughs> uh, I'm Morgan. I am a German leftist. <laughs> And I uh, I also spend way too much time on the internet. And I also study digital media. So yeah, I'm going to be using the enemy <laughs> uh, not as enough much. i think a lot of people who would listen to our podcast would call us fake leftists oh probably. We're, we're centrist but i also feel like that's like the kind of leftist that's like oh how dare you have a phone like they put the exactly they put the responsibility with the consumer which is never the right way to I approach th- system and that systematic change because you know i i think we might be the radicals in their mind <laughs> I see. I mean, definitely, if you're talking about the uh, current political climate in Antwerp, for example, we are radicals. Kind of. Okay, so first of all, the issue of monopolies. These companies clearly have a monopoly. They have a market advantage that is not normal. And, for example, uh, Google lately had to pay a huge fine because of their... the Because of the unlawful advantage that their own shop was giving to companies selling on that shop um so yeah yeah and and let's confirm for a moment with the numbers that they are monopolies google uh, effectively owns or controls at least uh in terms of search distribution channels uh roughly 80% of the general uh search queries in the united states alone um The fine you uh, talked about was to the European Union, um, but even there, um, the EU uh, uses a study of eMarketer, which basically says that Google could control um, in 2021 alone 27% of global online uh, ad spending and uh, 57% for the search ads and 10% of the display in the year of 2021 alone. Um, So we're talking about um, big parts of the market which these companies control. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, in UK law, to have a reference, which is in general EU law, but still, uh, a company is considered a monopoly once it owns 25% of the market because it raises such big obstacles for other new companies to arise that uh, it basically becomes unfair competition. Yeah, and like, why does it become unfair competition? I think a big part of that is because it becomes so big that it could uh, reduce its own prices to an extent where no other competitor would have a chance of emerging. And if they would emerge, they could just buy them up, basically. Yeah. I think, but I think that's mostly uh, 
that applies to more traditional markets. But when it comes to Google, for example, they're not really selling anything, but it's the worrying part of them controlling the the internet, which is this new, I mean, relatively new. They're selling something, but you are the product in what they're selling. They're selling data. Yeah, but it's not that um, kind of monopoly that we see like in the traditional sense of, okay, I own uh, all of the uh, eggs in the world and now I can... Uh, yeah, but like if you look, for example, Fitbit, right? Like yeah. that was a Belgian company that started and uh, their market uh, growth has been predicted to quadruple in the next six years. What did Google do? They Buy just it. bought them up because this was actually, this could have become a data competitor that was like situated in Europe. Indeed. And like that way they do, like, you know, it's not, it's, it's not, not that they're undercutting prices yeah. necessarily, which doesn't really apply anymore, but yeah. because data is so cheap in and of itself, kind of, um, but, you know, one, one bit of data, one bit of data is, is, nothing, is basically yeah. nothing, but it is the, the kind of data, the specific, what data do you have access to that makes them kind of a problem because, um, this is one of the complaints, uh, of the European Commission uh, is that um, mainly that Google and Apple gather data and Facebook as well, but they keep it to themselves. And another company is not allowed to buy that data or um, cannot buy into that data to basically have the same starting advantage. So for example, you couldn't really create we all experience this when you take another search engine than Google, it kind of doesn't work as well as Google simply because Google has access to a giant amount of data that makes its search engine work well. And the European Commission says, well, that's kind of an unfair advantage to any new search engines trying to come up because they have to start from zero. <laughs> Indeed. Um and that's what we're not even talking about selling your data, like Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, that's something totally even else. Mm -hmm. And let's just to be clear, like we're talking about the monopoly of data right now, but yeah, this monopoly even includes a lot of algorithms, software, and we are going to talk about free software, I imagine. And uh, this idea of is software supposed to be just copyrighted is in the sense, well, I own this algorithm now and you can't copy it, which um, if anybody is interested in, in tech history, they will know that this is, has been always a very controversial uh, subject. And another way they are monopolies, um, we all know uh, Android and What's the operating system for iPhones? ISO. ISO, yeah. I'm sorry. I do not have or an iOS. iPhone. Or uh, iOS. iOS. Um, <laughs> ISO something else. Samsung, ISO for example. <laughs> <laughs> Samsung, for example, pushes you to use Google and Google Docs and Google Drive and all the Google stuff because Google pays Samsung to you know, promote it and try to keep out the competitor, mainly the uh, apps from uh, Apple. Um, the iPhones do the opposite. They just, you know, push the the iO the, the Apple products and the Apple apps, and they try the to iOS product the iOS product. <laughs> God, that fucking acronym. Um, and they try and keep out the Google uh, products, um, yep. which is again an unfair advantage to or or an unfair market. The yeah. the commission and just says. as a as a little as a side note, because I I know people who would make the argument. Well, it's not a monopoly. Then there is Apple and Google. Two companies each carving out their own little piece of territory is still a, a monopoly. monopoly. It's just yeah. a, a duopoly, I think they call it. Yeah, um, I just wanted to make that, that because I know some people would be thinking, "Well, it's not a monopoly technically." I mean, and you can find you can find I this mean, in a lot also of countries. Linux. Linux is a free <laughs> software. <laughs> <laughs> I um, know, but there are devices which run on Linux. Well, so and say. well, the ironic part is Android is based on Unix and Linux, so it's just very ironic. Um. But yeah, it, it's okay, kind of sucks. Um, and even uh, like if we're like if we're introducing the subject of monopolies and uh, the idea, so we talked about Google owning all of the um, data, for example, for search engines, and they can have access to that data to improve their programming. We have uh, social media like Facebook and Twitter and their uh, 
monopoly on data also that, that helps them to design algorithms that would keep engagement and they are at this point untouchable. And we will also have to mention the uh, monopolies of operating systems. And if we go a bit uh, in the history of tech, that how Microsoft owns the monopoly on operating systems right now. Like you, when you think of a computer, you just think of Windows. You don't think of... Kind of, yeah. Yeah, like... Or Apple, but yeah. Fair. Again, duopoly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I, it, it, it's I'm kind of it's kind of really really sad, and even then, like in 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 the PC world, Macintosh is just it does well, not measure. In the design world, it does. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, no, I mean, I don't, I don't, I've never owned an Apple. I'm just like making fun of all I'm, the designers that are like, here. I can only work on Apple. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. So and it's it's not just their monopoly status, which is why the EU is now trying to lay out rules because it is mostly concerned with the market. But it's also um, Facebook came under scrutiny um, in the last election in the United States because it was vulnerable to uh, foreign uh, meddling in said elections by Russia. Um, so it's not just uh, a. a a measure of trying to regulate the markets. It's also uh, a, a question that is arising of how do these big monopolies impact democracy? Um, yeah, I, I think also if we talk about that, we can also mention their intransparency when it comes to, or their lack of transparency when it comes to lobbying, when it comes to data collection, Etc. Like, let's take lobbying, for example. Numbers that are only... Okay, the numbers on lobbying are only reported by the companies themselves, so we can't really trust them, but they can give us an estimation of, like, what company pays more than others. Mm -hmm. And if we take together Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, and Apple, they spend a total of $21 million in Brussels lobbying. Uh, so EU lobbying um, in a year. Um, and there there are talks about them upping that budget even more, uh, considering the GDPR, etc. Uh, and then if we look at how transparent are they on the membership in think tanks, uh, only Microsoft really admits that they are part of all the major think tanks in Europe. Uh, Facebook doesn't admit anything. like They say that they are not a part of anything and mm. a big mm -hmm. problem with this is we can't really control uh -huh. it it's a bit like the numbers for lobbying because um these think tanks don't want to disclose their members or like a lot of them at least don't openly display the numbers of who is part of them and who is not um and like the the 21 million that they spent on lobbying we can compare it to the car market uh, which is a very very big uh, industry in germany yes. and if we look at the combined number of volkswagen daimler mercedes uh, bmw renault ford fiat um, and peugeot they in total uh, spent 7.9 million which is okay. still less than what That's Google alone pays. A third? Or, or, yeah, uh, exactly. Almost a third? So, like, Google pays about as much per year as, like, all of these car companies pay together in a year. But don't worry, people. They have <laughs> your best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know what you guys have, like, planned for the outline. So we talked about these companies owning monopolies on data and algorithms, and now we're talking about their influence on politics. So that's Well, yeah, it's, it kind of contributes to them maintaining the monopoly if they are the only one that have enough money to skew politics in one or the other direction. Historically, the... Um <clears throat> because uh, multiple people have already pointed towards this being a parallel um, for the... Uh, beginning of the 20th century, the time of big oil barons like John D. Rockefeller um, or the giant trusts in the U.S. Uh, like uh, U.S. Steel. I mean, and, and 
John D. Rockefeller Standard Oil was also a, a, a giant trust. Um, some of those monopolies, which, um, to be clear, the current uh, oil companies don't compare to anymore, even though they are still big, um, they had more influence than elected officials on policy making simply because they were so big. Um, and besides official just economic power, which they could leverage, um, they still had, you know, dirty tactics, which they used uh, at, at any given time. Um, that isn't to say that Google has or, or uses dirty tactics, though, in all honesty, I would be surprised if they didn't sometimes. Um, I mean, they pay a shit ton in fines every year, too. Exactly. Like. So um, just the fact that they exist and that you don't want to lose them is in, a, in and of itself kind of a, a, a way to blackmail a country or, or, a, or a economic area. And before the GDPR, we had no way of finding these co uh, these companies to an extent where it would hurt them because any law that they put in place was always like kind of a fixed number. And now with the GDPR, it's actually the first time that they uh, said that the maximum amount you can find one uh, a tech company for is 10%, not of their European revenue, but yeah, of that's their... That's the British system, I believe. Uh, that's the... the is That's it? the system the the Brits want to put in place. Um, I don't know. It oh, might I, be the same for the EU. I think that's what the GDPR already says. Ah, okay. Well, there but you go. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm. I'm like <laughs> now. I'm a bit unsure, of course, because I, I read a lot of. I definitely articles. know. <laughs> There's a lot of information here to distill. Indeed, and I think that brings to light something that most. Like even if you try to do your research, it's it's pretty difficult to find the information because lack of transparency, like you said. Yeah, I think that's that's a really big one. I'm they really astonished by the fact that they all the numbers in terms of lobbying are self-reported. I mean, yeah, but like how how else would you do it? By, by because the same way they, they don't see lobbying as something unethical, and maybe that's what something worth discussing. Is but there even if you don't consider it unethical, it is still the the same uh, reason we have to uh, have have uh, open books on basically every decision a government makes and all the research they they order, etc. It's it's the basic concept of transparency of uh, of rule and of uh, governance, transparency of governance. Um, and especially in the case of big companies and their lobbying, um, the alternative is pretty obvious. Um, Roosevelt, which was the, the guy that busted the, the big trusts like Standard Oil, uh, created a special bureau, the uh, Bureau of Corporations, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, to investigate uh, big companies and to check if they didn't... Uh, cross uh, antitrust laws and anti-monopoly laws, it makes it would only make sense for the EU uh, to have a bureau, an investigative bureau or an investigative institution that would simply publish the, the numbers on uh, lobbying for, for each and every company. Uh, of course, that would not be liked by those companies, but... Uh. Well, yeah. uh, that kind of brings something like uh, a question I hear a lot about these kind of topics is when um, we talk about does the EU even have any uh, form of action because these are US-based companies almost most of the time. And what kind of, what course of action do you have? You can't really um, bring them to Courts, you can only restrict their access here in Europe, like the GDPR. And uh, you oh no, Google, the e the EU Commission has dragged Google to to the European Court yeah. and has wow. fined them for like because like Google, for example, operating in Europe. The only reason they can operate in Europe is because they have uh, an Irish. Sub. That's Facebook again. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, so Facebook. Yeah, I was looking at you. Although like, I imagine I Google also has yeah, its Google, seat in Google Ireland also has because everyone Ireland, has its seat yes. in Ireland. But I'm not sure about their corporate structure exactly. But I know that Facebook then has like an, a specific company, Facebook Ireland, which hmm. is like why they can operate here. And I imagine it's Ireland because tax haven or yes. something. Ireland yes. has... You know how every country in the EU has specialized in a little set of the economy, and Ireland has specialized in being the the seat of those. Uh, I thought it would be Luxembourg or something. No, they have different specializations. <laughs> 
But when you're describing the, the difficult corporate structure, the whole complexity of the issue, the, the large amounts of research you need to do on it, I do want to um, refer back to, again, um, history, because I'm sorry, I'm a history teacher. But um, <laughs> Also because I want to point out uh, and, and shine the spotlight on one person, uh, one historical person for a moment, which is Ida Tarbell, which was the woman, uh, an investigative journalist, um, and in her time, one of the uh, first women with a science degree, degree in the US, um, she was the woman that exposed the malpractices of Standard Oil and Rockefeller. And in that time, it was also extremely difficult to get a grip of the corporate structures because they were overly complex, uh, mostly by the will of those companies by themselves. Design. Yeah, by design. Um, it was difficult to pin down who owned what. And the only reason it went down so well, or one of the reasons it went down so well, was because there was this figure of John D. Rockefeller. Um, and it's a bit um, akin to how it's sometimes difficult to get a grasp of Google, because we don't really yeah. know Wait, who... There is no Zuckerberg of Google. But Exactly, but there is a Zuckerberg for Facebook, yes. so it's very easy to hone in on Zuckerberg <laughs> and point out all the shit he does. Yeah, and he seems to be unwilling to be like uh, not on the like. For example, Bill Gates stepped down as CEO. He like uh, did his own thing and let Microsoft run itself. Zuckerberg seems to be I am the head of the company, and they did bring him to Congress. They did question him, and uh, we had a lot of memes about him looking like an alien. So, <laughs> also by the way, a thing they said about Rockefeller. <laughs> He was described as like, especially at the end, uh, he was described because he had lost all his hair. That's just a little fun side note. He had lost all his hair, including his eyebrows. Um, and he was described as like lizardy, ghoulish. That lizard people. I, I guess the lizard people conspiracy theory is not that uh, far-fetched. <laughs> Once you so, get like too rich, you become a lizard. <laughs> you hear it here on Talking With Apes. <laughs> um. Okay, maybe we can like, you know, on the topic of transparency also talk about how the fuck they are handling our data and how untransparent they are about that and how hard it is to request to like have your data deleted or etc. Yeah, um and uh for some context the EU um has also been cracking down on this with its own legislation and it has been protective um, it, it has and it has it had it had like unprecedented yeah, uh, results like which is uh, good for us yeah <laughs> but and also like you know when you go to a website and all the cookies uh please yes, allow exactly. our cookies this is our advertisement cookies these are operational cookies this is pretty this is a pretty big achievement you know That's that the... kind of existed for a long time like that they should have to do that but yes like, but they didn't yeah that's the e-privacy directive of 2002 yes but uh what was the recent change that made them the recent change is that you can charge them like way more money money is involved <laughs> god we must be careful yeah and even now like sometimes you go to a website and the cookies are really not transparent enough they're like there is this big button that would allow for all the advertisement yeah. cookies and if you want to like block them you have to go to the options exactly definitely improvement possible but that's one of the biggest changes of the gdpr now that they said that you don't just have to tell people that you are using cookies which was before the case now you have to give people the option to opt out of uh advertisement cookies while still being Having access to the having thing. access to the website and the functional cookies. Yes. So the difference that is a new thing, and that is a very good thing, I think. Also fun GDPR, um, which stands for General Data Protection Regulation, by the way, um, for the people listening, um, uh, also allows you to uh, be informed on why your data is stored, but more importantly, to uh, change it. So correct it or ask to remove it. Exactly. Yes. But I actually like um, talked to a woman who is very big on AI, etc. And who knows a lot about these things. And she tried to get her data removed and she managed to. But it wasn't like she just went to Google and mm -hmm. pressed a little button like difficult. delete my data. So it's, it's still you. It's not extremely difficult, but it takes some time. And you have to like file a complaint, basically. Mm -hmm. And Which, we know that you know. Uh, most of the general public 
even if they wanted to do it, it's it's not accessible enough. Yeah, but like if there is there is some really interesting numbers on um, what what the GDPR has done to complaints about personal data, um, and like these numbers have recently been um, looked at. Um, uh, in the sense of they asked data protection mm -hmm. officers of different countries, like, have your numbers increased since the installment of GDPR? And 64% uh, of data protection officers actually reported an increase to, like, either an increase or a high increase in people, like, filing complaints and asking their data to be removed, etc. So I think... It, it really did have an impact on people knowing that they are in charge of their data and they can do something about that. Mm -hmm. Now, a big problem with that is still that uh, there is not really... Um, or it's, it's more a question I wanted to bring up. Um, the staff that is needed to make GDPR work, um, as in the staff of... Uh, experts on data protection yeah, and the, the authorities that yeah. are like employed by per country. If we look at uh, Germany, for example, they have almost 800 uh, people working on that. Um, but if we look at Ireland, you know, where you would expect a really, really high number, maybe um, it's only like 100 or no, it was 100 and now it's 140. So mm -hmm. it's really good to see the increase there. And I hope that they keep that up. But if they don't, that also can become a problem as more yes. and more people are connecting to the internet, getting new devices. You know, the whole thing with the Fitbit kind of discussion is also still a thing because it's very valuable data to see how healthy people are if you think of insurances, etc. So, like, I think these countries will, the European countries will have to increase their staff um, of data protection uh, agents and authorities uh, more and more over these years because... Which raises the question on how effective the <clears throat> EU is at the moment of actually, you know, m executing it, its laws. Um, because the way it, it works um, uh, for Facebook, for example, is that as soon as, and any other company that shares data, uh, as soon as they take data out of their European uh, companies and share it with their US companies, they have to still apply uh, GDPR uh, protection levels. So the EU is basically like you never fall beneath our line. Um, and for the longest time, that worked pretty well. However, um, in 2013, a certain, pers uh, a certain Mr. Uh, Snowden exposed that the USA um, National Security Agency, or NSA, was able with the uh, PRISM program, I believe, uh, was able to directly uh, get access to the data of uh, Google and Amazon, etc. Um, and the EU and US relationships kind of broke over that. <laughs> um, it reminds me of John Oliver's piece on data protection. <laughs> yes, we can see your dick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so those arrangements are kind of being renegotiated. Um, but it's interesting because... There is a real risk, or real risk, um, they'll probably never let it come to this, but there is a risk that Facebook gets blocked by the Irish regulator from taking and sharing any data from EU context uh, with its parent company in the USA. Um, simply because the EU says, as long as this isn't fixed, you can share data. Well, then they just open like another branch somewhere else. But they can't take it out of the EU. They can share it with their US company. That's the problem. Yeah. Because according currently to uh, the EU or and the European Court of Justice, the uh, Facebook US is not a a valid place or but does is not a safe place for European data to be transferred well, to. What you're saying is right though. Like Facebook itself had uh a spokesperson almost say that Facebook can't operate this way and might have to withdraw from Europe. And then they kind of scrambled back and they were like, oh, no, no, we're yeah, not exactly. withdrawing. And they'll never let it come to that, probably, yeah. because let's be fair, 
that would be... It's a lot of data. The EU is the second largest economy and they have a shit ton of data from here. And neither does the EU want that, probably. But yeah. it's still... I uh, mean, I imagine if uh, if you couldn't access Facebook tomorrow, a lot of EU citizens would be like, what the fuck is going on? Exactly. <laughs> so maybe mm. we should do just like China and make our own uh, social media website. <laughs> well, maybe not just like China. <laughs> Yeah. I, do, I do, because this is one of the things we didn't consider, are, are the monopolies good or bad? Uh, there is a really interesting difference, because in the US you have basically laissez-faire capitalism, right? Yes. The, U, the US is like venture capitalism, yay! <laughs> Liberty! Uh, exactly, and in China you have state capitalism, yes. which is basically like we use the resources of everything and we pump it into certain companies. Oh yeah, companies. It's, it's hilarious. Like my dad, he works at Mercedes, and they shipped a car like you know they have these cars that are like designed yes. and there's only one of them and like nobody can see it you know because it's top secret and there's a seal around it and everything the whole corporate espionage thing yeah exactly know. and they they ship it and like the duana uh, the, the uh, uh, border the border control yeah control they thingy. just <laughs> they just opened it they took off like all the protective wrap what that like <laughs> makes you not see the shapes and they took photos of it and they said, like, yeah, this is what we do to all companies. And now Mercedes can't, like, ship these fancy models anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. But have you noticed how um, between Google, Amazon, Facebook... Um, oh, actually, sorry, this happened to BMW and they told Mercedes because uh, at least okay. they have that sort of level of... <laughs> Rivalry. <laughs> there yeah. is still some solidarity. <laughs> yeah. Like, we all, we all don't like China doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but have you noticed how the EU doesn't have any of those big companies? Even in the top 20, uh, nine are uh, Chinese and uh, 11 are American in the like top 20 biggest tech companies in the world. There is no European one in the top 20 and even in the top... Uh, I mean, uh, Europe doesn't spend as much on research, on startups, etc. Yes, Um and Europe has a different Europe has a different kind of capitalism. Um, it doesn't pump indeed as much money in into those things. It's also not uh, interested in um, those big companies. The EU has actively always been against big uh, leader companies like Google uh, or or uh, Microsoft or uh, like the Chinese companies like Alibaba, etc. Um, TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, exam. Uh, we we completely example. didn't talk about that one, but it's uh, increasing in numbers. Oh, yeah, that oh, yes. one is uh, super problematic too. Um, but it does raise the question because the EU is also kind of not that great at innovation because of that. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily true. It's more like, well, as a. It's just not. It's not allowing for that. Uh, it's it's killing it on the seed. You know, you're not allowed yeah. to become that. So maybe that's not necessarily. We're still allowing innovation, and there's mm. still a lot of investment and research. We're just not allowing somebody to like. Okay, now I control the economy. Most of those companies that do start up in the EU and that blossom, uh, or that you know, the seed blossoms into something, immediately get snatched by American exactly. companies or Chinese companies. Again, and they <laughs> move to the yeah. U.S. or they just move to the U.S. for themselves. Um, because, and I do think this is important to point out. Um, Didn't Spotify also start as a European company? Yes, that yeah. was, I believe, Swedish or Norwegian yeah. or something. Uh, Scandinavian in any way. Yeah. Um, but the EU, I mean, for multiple reasons. One, the EU is not interested in those kinds of companies. Um, and second, the EU market is extremely fragmented. Only while the service industry counts for 80% of the EU economy, that's not the part that gets unified. The The union is actually mostly focused on goods, not on yeah. services. So it's it's still, uh, it's interesting, I think, to mention that because... Which is an issue, it right? It gives like, insight I mean, into I'm why. Sure, I'm sure Keenan can talk more about the problems in the tech industry uh, when you... Like when you consider the working conditions, etc., because there is indeed no union mm -hmm. unionization, and there hasn't been that time to establish clear rules yet. Exactly, it's just um, it's just sad when it comes to when you think of tech and when you think of software and when you think of the internet and the in the um, 
dawn of that time, it was very much the Wild West. When we people would talk about it at that time, it would be like uh, the future of this uh, totally free of capital, free of uh, influence. You can do anything, you can be anything. And then capitalism kind of snatched that and it never had the opportunity to... Like, if you think of car companies, right? Imagine if we only had two car companies in the world. That's basically what happened to software and uh, operating systems. You have Apple, you have Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people are not really aware of Microsoft's dark history, but Microsoft has been an active monopoly and Bill Gates applied a lot of predatory um, tactics. They would buy up competition. They would not allow it to grow at all. They uh, lobbied for very, very very aggressive copyright uh, laws when it comes to software. And if it wasn't for um, people like Richard Stallman, who uh, invented or started the the new project, which uh, blossomed into Linux, Mm -hmm. we would have had a much more dark dark reality when it comes to software and operating systems. And it's actually like pretty... It's, it's, it's really, really sad when people, um, if you can imagine at the time, in that time of innovation, if all the people who came up with new ideas were allowed to exist and not be bought up by Microsoft or mm-hmm. Apple, we would have had a totally different environment when it comes to software and tech right now. But we kind of uh, ended up in the darkest timeline almost. They're almost like, um, I know we're not really talking about that, but in the entertainment industry, that's basically Disney, right? Yeah, Disney is is one of those other emerging monopolies that is very scary. It, um, is, it is extremely scary. And the whole copyright thing and uh, lobbying against yes. people, uh, against their character becoming in the public domain. Yes. I mean, also Netflix. Like Netflix having basically the opportunity to greenlight any movie they want to make. Yeah, but when it comes to Disney, we're talking about... Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's 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 even bigger. And, and they were kind of like the first to do that. Like Walt Disney was the uh, the perfect neoliberal venture capitalist. Mm. Yeah. People loved him. At least neoliberals do. <laughs> yeah, and like these, these monopolies, of course, also enable these companies to induce a sort of opinion on the public we've seen it with cambridge analytica but we also see it with censorship to some extent um where it becomes kind of dubious to say banning someone from the network is a good thing even if that person is like trump or something because you don't know like it's it's really hard to say it's it's good if the network is like the only like not the only way to express your opinion, but it's like a very, very big way of It's basically the... I mean, yeah. Trump got banned from Twitter, Facebook, uh, and what else? Um, any other thing. That is, a, in this day and age, a very significant crackdown on a person's freedom of speech. Now, mind you, I don't want to hear that radioactive orange talk any more than any other person. Um, <laughs> but there is still the matter of fundamental rights. Yes. And just the power that they hold, like uh, Trump did make his own blog and it failed. It failed miserably. because he's not on Twitter. Like even all of these fanatics who would literally do anything for that guy wouldn't go out of their way to log in into a blog that is not Twitter. Show you, it shows you that the, the drug, the opium in the story is really the algorithm of those platforms yeah. and oh how my they God, work. Yes. If we're talking about like the AI algorithms behind all of these technologies, it's it's just fucking scary. It's also one of those things that are... If if um, Do you know that CGP Grey video about machine learning? Yes, yes. Not even those companies know exactly what's happening. They yeah. just know that... They are allowing the program to do the the max and engagement. Don't seem to understand this. I remember the tri- I remember when Zuckerberg was uh, brought before Congress in the U.S. and the Congress people did not seem to be aware of that oh, yeah. in and of itself. Like the the simple truth that Facebook doesn't exactly know how the algorithm works. It just gives it kind of a direction and it. 
Yes, just tweet, it all. Just yeah, tweet like, it a lot of data and let it do its thing. Yeah. And like we have to talk about how dangerous this is. Yes. Yeah, like Zuckerberg didn't even know how long the program of Facebook keeps collecting data if you delete the app, <laughs> which was like, you know, first of all, why does that happen in the first place? But like then, and so it's very like, difficult to to regulate these companies. And but at at the very least, we should really consider, and in my opinion, just do. Um, we should really have some democratic oversight over what the at least the direction is the algorithm get pushed towards because currently the algorithm of Facebook is there to you know keep you on the site as long as possible the algorithm of Amazon is there to make, make as you much buy. money for Jeff Bezos it's not serving the public good uh, of course it's not but there is what's the mechanism for you to govern that because it is copyrighted private property these algorithms are, See, that's uh, why I'm a socialist. Or exactly, anarchist, but like, what sense. do you think is is kind of the it's the that. means of distribution, and we have to seize those two. <laughs> Honestly, like it is, it is very when it's come like if you break it down, it is kind of the means of production and distribution. The factory algorithm, the factory analogy, <laughs> the break, factory algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> the factory analogy breaks down in this day and age, and it becomes these. Let's, let's be clear. Um, companies like Walmart and Amazon especially. Amazon, I believe, is bigger than the Soviet Union at the height of its economy in the 1970s. Yes. That's a planned economy for you because Amazon internally is a planned economy. It doesn't work in a... In, it doesn't internally have a free market system where, you know, the workers get to... Uh, <laughs> where, where the managers have to compete for the workers, etc. No, no, it, it tells people what needs to happen and it happens. Maybe that would be a good uh, introduction. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Amazon... Maybe, maybe that's how you can regulate the American market. You just tell them if your company gets to a certain size, you have to start having internal competition and freedom of market. And that way you like... <laughs> that would screw with a company <laughs> because the free market is not as efficient as a mark as, as, as a planned economy but because like, Walmart and Amazon have shown it. That is a that is the a company the size of a country. It's larger than most European countries. Yeah. And it functions extremely efficiently and extremely fast because it's not it's the decision making there is not human no i exactly. think that's a lot of like a lot of people are not like aware of that the decision making in these when you re once you reach that kind of level you're leaving the decision making to an algorithm exactly and these algorithms like i said are private property and there should be a way to stop this because this is extremely dangerous. Imagine what this could do if it wasn't simply uh, optimized for, you know, maximizing money in, in Jeff Bezos's endless uh, pockets, but um, also for uh, environmental efficiency, like uh, to to omit the least amount of of, C of uh, carbon uh, of of uh, yeah. CO two for a worker uh, wor uh, quality of the working uh, environment. It's extremely sad that we, ha we have the technology to... So amazing. Yeah, and but yet. it's used to make money and... To be fair, like, I think there the EU also is, like, going better with forcing companies to actually become carbon neutral, etc. Yeah. Um, much faster. It's just like the sad thing is like even if we were to like have a startup company now and we would have uh, develop our own algorithm that would be AI or machine learning or whatever, it it goes back to the point that we talked about in the first uh, minutes of the podcast when it comes to data. AI needs data. Machine learning yeah, needs exactly. data, and. We it's can just pay Google to share their data with our algorithm so it can develop uh, on, in its own direction because Google doesn't do that. It yeah. just uses its own data and so does Facebook and Amazon, etc. And that's the monopoly of data and it's extremely dangerous. And it's Yeah, but like there, there has been talks about forbidding that, you know, like you could yeah. install a policy that's just like if you have a certain size and a certain amount of data, you are obliged to share, like to not share the data, but to share the algorithm that collects it. Yeah, and that would make and sense. And make it open source. Because it's the same question as, as it's in a certain sense, it's the same question as Monsanto faces. Um, uh, mainly, if you take the I'll DNA... I'll buy her now. 
buyers. Monsanto has been bought up by Bayer. And now it's called Bayer just? I mean... Or Bayer Monsanto or what? I think they were trying to phase out the name because Monsanto has such a bad name. Uh, Yeah, kind of. I'm not sure how far they are in that. But I mean, if you you sequence the DNA of of a certain seed, do you own that DNA sequence? It's kind of bullshit because that DNA sequence developed over millions of years of evolution. Uh, I mean, honestly, the, the, the copyright issues and like the intellectual property is it deserves its own episode yeah, of it, the uh, podcast. Its own it's, it's, but it is very linked to this uh, to, to today's that, podcast yeah. because it's linked to the solutions. Yes, because, definitely, yeah. and it's part of the problem. Like. Um, Richard Stallman was the first to coin the term um, copyleft because in his time there wasn't any, in, in the law that existed in his time, there wasn't any uh, mechanism to do a free, really free software that would not allow, that would allow for distribution, that would allow for development and would not never ever be owned by a company. So what happened to Richard Stallman was he developed a Perl script or something as a Python interpreter or a Perl interpreter. I can't remember the details. And we all know what a Python interpreter exactly. is. Exactly. I, I know what Python is. It's a I can't language, remember that Python didn't exist then probably. Okay. That's all that I'm saying. Okay. I, I'm probably making the wrong uh, okay, cool. info. I'm not I'm saying sorry, I was just like confused. Continue. <laughs> okay. And what happened to him mm. is that um what happened to him was a, a company contacted him and they were like, hey, can we use this to uh, like uh, in our work? And he was like, yeah, sure. Um, and after five years or something, he was like, hey, can I like, uh, because they worked on it and they improved it. And he was like, hey, can I like uh, also get a copy of what you improved? And they were like, no, now we own this. This is up. because technically, legally speaking, they got his license they developed it and um, improved it to something that becomes their mm-hmm. own. And he he sweared, like, I would never let this happen again. Mm-hmm. And he devoted his life to free software. And he came up with the idea of, I'm going to do a new license of software that would disallow anyone from buying it and owning it yeah. ever, no matter how much improvements they do to it. It's always free for distribution. It's always free for sharing, copying, and studying. And that's where we have, that's where we, it, it, it's really imp- amazing how much he influence he had on the uh, tech industry and the free license software. And now every free license software we have is based on the new program. And it's yeah, amazing. I, think, it's amazing. I think it's connected to maybe we should reinstall a new goal in the economy instead of going for as much profit in as little <laughs> time as possible. <laughs> that sounds like communism to me. Shh, shh, Tom, don't say a goal-oriented <laughs> economy. Yeah, Stop. like you know, if you know, like last uh, <laughs> in the first episode we talked about the Beyonce limit, you know, like a limit at which you are so rich that you basically can't spend more money than you, you could ever make, you know, you now have to Uh, share, you have more money than, and, and like, maybe that should be the goal. Maybe the goal of like becoming a big company, like Facebook, for example, like if you are that big, the goal of be the, the reason for becoming that big shouldn't be like, oh my God, then I can make all the money in the world. The reason for becoming that big should be, oh my God, now I can share this software and people can improve on it and we can all... And you basically become a part a of the fundamental level. infrastructure of the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and that would be... A much better world, I think. And but like to be fair, because they already are part of the fundamental structure of the world. Yes, exactly. But they're not being treated as such, or they're not, and they're not behaving as such at the moment. Definitely not. Um, they they still behaving as a business. And that's also kind of where the solution lies, in in my opinion, for uh, the the big social media platforms. And that is in we see this uh, slow rise of of uh, alternative platforms but they suffer from the fact that they don't have the network yet. They don't have that much users yet. They don't have the data yet. You know, I'm talking about the Fediverse, um, which is this collection not, of... Not even just social media platforms, something like DuckDuckGoGo, for example. Exactly. Also, yes. Um, but they're open. You have these open source uh, uh, systems, but they can't... One, the social media platforms can grow as well because they can't interlink with a Google and a Facebook at the moment or a Twitter because Google, Facebook, and Twitter uh, keep their platforms closed as opposed to the mailing system, Gmail, 
and Outlook and Hotmail can all interact with each other. Yes, and, that interoperability or whatever. It's it's actually something amazing. Like you can you can send an email from Gmail to Outlook, yeah. and you can't really send a message from WhatsApp to Telegram or from Telegram. But to in Facebook. these new, there are open source social media platforms like so uh, like Mastodon and PeerTube, which do allow for that. And you basically have an an alternative to YouTube communicating with an alternative to Twitter, which is amazing. And it really begs the question: maybe that is one of the biggest impacts we could the EU or, or another institution could force on these companies, Definitely. especially on the social media ones, is to just force them to adopt a protocol which everyone can use. a very deep look into these things again. And like people don't, like the reason why we have the exchange email protocol that we have today is because at the beginning of the internet, people, co- companies like Google didn't exist. They, people were like, I want... A, it's the logical I, thing. <laughs> yes, I want an internet that is connecting the whole world. And yes, Facebook claims to be, our mission is to connect the whole world. But only within my grasp. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We, we have such amazing technologies that happened because these people wanted an actual exchange-free yeah. program and network. Yeah, I think... Um, sorry, now I, I got kind of... Yeah, I, I don't remember what I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, and I think we, for certain things, we definitely should consider splitting up certain monopolies, like Google's data collection and, and usage is, is are two very different things, which maybe they shouldn't have full con- absolute power over on themselves. But for other things, a Facebook can perfectly exist in a, in a federated system like the email uh, system with other social media platforms. Yeah. Um, I, also, I also think a good example of how what influence this could have is for example if we look at uh, the programs that are there like the software in video editing in game uh, development etc if we see things like unity that is uh, like blender is completely open source Mm -hmm. uh, for example which is then you can link to Unity, which is, I think, open source, or what is it? It's free, I'm definitely, pretty sure, but I'm not sure Unity is open source. Yeah, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not gonna be an authority there. Yeah. Um. So, like Blender, for example, for those who don't know, is like a 3D, um, modeling software, and it's kind of becoming better than most other 3D softwares, just because so many people are developing plugins, so many people are making free content for it. Um, it's basically like Wikipedia. Wikipedia is nowadays better than any other encyclopedia because so many people are contributing to it. And this open source, it works already for these kinds of things that are more more fixed entities. Mm-hmm. Like you download it, it's on your computer, you use it. The data, the data aspect is is maybe something that we should bring towards that too, because then you can have fair, not even competition, yeah. but fair contribution and fair sharing. Say again that solidarity doesn't work and that the market yeah. is competitive. Wikipedia and I mean, the people that develop that these things still like live off of them. Like they they get some people that send them some money because like they get to use the software for free and yes. they are thankful for that. It's just very sad because I really like. We we, we should be like uh, when when it's talking of solutions and thinking of solutions. It's just you have these huge companies that, like I said, the decision making there is optimized to make profit, and it's most of the time like when it comes to really big companies, it's uh, these huge algorithms that take into account the stock market, that take into account mm-hmm. all the data that it's being fed, and the end goal is profit. So let, let me alleviate your uh, darkness there for a moment because <laughs> <laughs> alleviate the darkness. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Because at the for example uh, in exa- in in opposition to Facebook again the the alternative social media platforms especially Mastodon have kind of proven that they're good for what we want out of them. Um and Mastodon has its rules are like by server and every person can create a server for Mastodon. It kind of works Mastodon like a Minecraft like server. Facebook or it's what like is Twitter. It? Yeah, okay. Um, but like, if you ever have had a Minecraft server or something, it kind of works like that. And everyone can log in onto the server, etc. And the server has its own rules. And that's how that works. Um, 
But because it has its local moderation, it has one, a shit ton of people moderating, which deals with the with the capacity problem as as the as there are more servers there are more moderators it grows naturally uh and second of all um a while ago a, a neo-nazi white supremacist platform uh, gap switched to the protocol and joined that entire network and so a lot of people were very worried like what is this going to mean why is this entire thing going to collapse um turned out it kind of survived decently because all of these servers simply disconnected with the fascist servers. Yes. Uh, and some even with the servers that still connected with the uh, fascist servers. So you sometimes even had two levels of separation between them. Um, and it basically stops the, the other people from seeing what uh, the problematic servers are posting. Um, and Gap basically eventually declared that they would not continue their presence on the on the Fediverse because it didn't do much for them. And they were whining about being sensitive and blah, blah, blah freedom of speech. Yeah, blah, you know how the fascists always uh, but whine like, about that. I, but it kind of worked pretty well, this decentralized version of social media to deal with the, yeah, that, the that, issue that, of That kind of protocol of exchange, that's actually like one of the first, like that, that's Usenet. That's just decentralized servers that connect to each other if they want to. That, yeah. that, that, that idea is actually like one of the ideas that were first there when the internet came along. Make the internet great again. Yes, basically. <laughs> Decentralization always comes up when we talk about these subjects as a solution somehow. Yes. Mm. Maybe some Anarchism. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like let's unite globally, but also decentralize big corporations be because big corporations shouldn't be more powerful than countries. Yeah, I mean, even like, even when it comes to um, like, Decentralization is not not working together. Decentralization means, like, let's say if we want to tackle uh, climate change or something, like uh, a recent example is the vaccine. The vaccine development has been decentralized and that's yes. why we could come up with a vaccine so fast. Yeah. The research have been decentralized. We didn't put $10 billion into one vaccine study. We exactly. developed multiple things. And that's, like, disregarding the whole... Um, pharmaceutical uh, practices and the way they sold and copyrighted yeah, the yeah. intellectual property of the vaccine. The vaccine development Watch itself... Watch other episode for that one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the research itself have been done in a very progressive, decentralized yeah. way, which I respect. So, yeah, decentralization does not mean not working together. If you want to talk about climate change, global warming, um, all these global challenges, decentralizing, but at the same time working towards the same goal. Um, at one point, point, I wanted to, because it was really interesting when we were talking about the Chinese um, yes. point of view against the neoliberal um, venture mm -hmm. capitalism. Uh, we, we couldn't like, really el elaborate on that. Do you think they have a point of view that can be even a good alternative solution to what we have right now? Um, it depends. I do like... In all honesty, sometimes I do think for some things there should be, or there definitely has to be a public uh, service. Uh, like, for example, the train system. I don't think it's a good thing to privatize that. We have seen that in the UK. Um, so for some things, giant monopolies by, I don't like the state, but by the democracy, by democratic control are uh, useful, I believe, yeah. And some things are not going to develop in, in the capitalist markets. Uh, so as, l as long as we have that world and that market being so dominant, we definitely need uh, some of that. Yeah, um, I, I would but argue But I don't like the Chinese way of... I, I get it. It's just also an example... it's not democratic. Like, yeah. yeah, that's not democratic. <laughs> it's the only China example of state capitalism to, to when you think about state capitalism because the Chinese are kind of the yeah. people to do it. And um, it's just... I, I agree with the idea, like, we just have to acknowledge, I think it's it's really a step that we need to take because a lot of people haven't really taken that step yet, that big data and big tech companies and the internet and Facebook and social media platforms are, in today's age, what electricity, the electrical grid was in its time. Mm -hmm. They are, to us, what the big oil companies, what uh, the transit system, yeah, they, they are, run our society. They run our, they are integral. There is yes. no way that we can go, they are not going to go away anytime soon. And we yeah, should, like once we acknowledge that, <laughs> yes, once we acknowledge that, we can finally move to the conversation of maybe they should not be privately owned. Mm -hmm. That's all. 
So there you got it. That's something to think about. Let's uh, hope it goes better than it did with oil and some electricity in some countries. And maybe consider those things when you are organizing people. And Yeah, I, I think um, if we solve climate change, data is going to be the next big uh, thing to... Maybe solving data will help us solve climate change. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think those two need to go together because the world is moving so fast that we can't really focus on one thing at a time anymore. <laughs> yes. Um, so now I think it's time to wrap up. I hope that uh, you, you know, learned something or are considering data in a new light. Um, and we'll see you next time. Maybe to talk a bit more about censorship. Um example yeah yes. maybe censorship and copyright i think would yeah be because a, uh, those are very big topics that we wanted to discuss more but it's so we are also open for other suggestions yes, of course yes of course leave always a uh, leave a comment subscribe like subscribe and watch our old podcasts because a lot of you haven't yet so see you there <laughs> yeah you will find it in the uh, there's a playlist that will show up if you're watching on youtube yes and or on our website uh, talkingwithapes.com etc et et or whatever podcast program you're using you can just go through our episodes yes so see you there bye bye subscribe bye.